This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here. We're back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. A great guest today, Bill Bruno, CEO of D4T4 Solutions. And we're going to be talking about data. Now, before you say, oh my gosh, data, how boring. It's not. We're going to talk about data protection, how some companies are doing an amazing job of protecting customers' data. And we're going to talk about how to use that data to create the best customer experience possible. Before we do that, a couple of quick announcements. If you've got an amazing story or a question, please be sure to reach out to me on any of the social media channels. I am pretty much everywhere. If it is a question, use the hashtag Ask Shep. I'll answer it in the social media channel. I'll answer it on my blog, on this show, or my TV show, Be Amazing or Go Home, which can be found on Amazon Prime, Roku, Apple TV, and you can watch episodes uh, just by going to beamazing.tv. That's beamazing.tv. Now, before we get into the interview, I want to take a moment to say thank you to our sponsor, Text Expander, which is a productivity tool that will save you hours of repetitive work. It saves content that you type again and again and again. And with just a few keystrokes, we'll drop it into almost anywhere that you do type, such as an email, a text message, or on a social media channel. More about Text Expander in just a bit. All right, time to get into our interview with Bill Bruno. Bill, welcome to the show. Shep, it's fantastic to be here and great to chat with you today. Great. And you are, are in from Chicago, uh, where the Chicago Blackhawks are about ready to play my St. Louis Blues. By the time this episode airs, hopefully we'll be able to tell you that the Blues beat your Blackhawks. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I suppose I suppose that 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 beauty's in the eye of the beholder, but they'll probably leave our trash talk on the cutting room floor, I would imagine. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's a bit of a tongue twister, and I, I think I did it pretty well in the introduction. D4T4 solutions. I don't know why I have a tough time saying D. For T4, but I, I do. And this is your company is all about data. And what we're going to mm -hmm. talk about today is how data is used the right way to create a better experience for your customers. But a quick background, you did a great elevator pitch that took like 20 or 30 seconds and told us exactly what D4T4 was. And you could do better than I can with that. <laughs> Well, I thought you did a pretty good job, actually. But I, I think in, in general, uh, from a D4T4 publicly traded out of London global company, um, as you mentioned, I'm based in Chicago, and we bring two products to the market. It's called uh, the product family is called Celebrus, and we basically have a marketing platform and a fraud platform. And the goal of both is to make consumers' lives and brands' lives better. On the marketing side, it's about create, helping brands capture data in a compliant way. Uh, to better design experiences, to help you find what you're looking for, to to assist you if you if you're struggling to to complete actions on your mobile devices or your websites, et cetera, et cetera. On the fraud side, that simply put, it's about protecting your money um, and your investments. It's trying to stop people from pretending they're you, um, using data to to fight that battle. 
um, which is an ever-growing and ever-challenging battle these days around the globe, particularly post-pandemic with everything being forced to go digital, perhaps when they weren't ready to, as we all sat at home. But that's largely the driver there. It, it's to, to pro provide data from a lens of, is this actually shut? And if it's not, let's protect his money. Let's stop that transaction. Let's stop that bank transfer. Let's stop that purchase before it even happens. Wow. So uh, like who, like is LifeLock the kind of, uh, of a competitor from sta that standpoint? You know, not a, um, not a competitor, but, but a good reference. Um, you know, LifeLock is going to protect your identity in a lot of ways. And they offer a ton of services to, to do that and kind of follow your information around, right? From a, from our perspective, it's, you know, if you think about the fraud side, when you go to a website, let's say for your bank, or you go to a mobile app, you're going to behave uh, a certain way. You're going to type things a certain way. You're going to be. You're going to hold a device a certain way. You're going to. You're going to interact with certain features and functionality on different devices differently, and all of that becomes evidence, right, about you. So that if in the moment there's someone who's pretending to be you, they're using a device we haven't seen before. They're behaving differently. They're typing differently. You know, those are all probably pretty good signs that it's not you and someone might have gotten a hold of your of, of your information, right? And how much do you hate having to replace your credit card or change your passwords and all those things, all the pain that comes with if someone fraudulently uses some of your information? It's awful, right? None of us like that. Yeah. And so we just try to stop it before it happens, right? So we try to stop it before it even has to be handled by a LifeLock or an Experian or any of those types of technologies. Wow. Very interesting. Fascinating. I know that's not what we're going to talk about, but I need to tell you a funny story. Um, Please and do. It's, a, it's a great customer experience story, but it ties into exactly what we're talking about. I was literally walking out the door to take a trip from St. Louis to Dallas, where I was going to be staying at the Dallas Airport Hyatt, right there at the airport. That's where the meeting was. It was perfect, right? As I'm walking out the door, I get a phone call. I look at the caller ID on my mobile phone. It says American Express. So I answer the phone and they say, hey, Mr. Hyken, um, we're calling you. We're assuming that you're in St. Louis right now and you're not over in Asia spending, you know, $20 at a time in every bar and every electronic store, and every place, like multiple times throughout the evening. I go, that is correct. Well, your card has been compromised, so you can't use your card anymore. Um, but we know you're going to Dallas. How do you know that? Well, we can see in your record, you paid for your, your trip with a credit card, our credit card. Oh, great. And uh, we also noticed that you made a reservation at the Hyatt at the airport. Yeah. Well, we're going to alert them to the problem. We're going to set it up so that they have your credit card information. And tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock in the morning or before you will receive an overnight package with your new credit card. Wow. wow. And it blew me away yeah. because two things were happening here. Number one, they were protecting me. Number two, they were using yep. data that they had mm -hmm. me giving to them through the work that I was doing with them. Right. Yeah. And they were yeah. using it in the perfectly right way. It's it's a it, you got to love it when you see it. Right. I wish all brands were able to use data, whether it's for marketing or for fraud. There's there's an ample amount of opportunity to create that type of experience. Right. And as you just I can tell while you're telling that story that that created loyalty, right? And at it the did. end of the day, if people if people use your data, if they protect you and they give you value, at the end of the day, you're going to be more loyal and you're going to be more, more comfortable sharing data with that brand because you see what they do with it and you see how it helps you, right? Yeah, they're not abusing it. They're not selling it to somebody um, exactly. that I'm all of a sudden going to be spammed or I get text messages almost hourly from people or companies. I have no idea who they are. And I report them and delete them as junk. Um, but yeah. anyway, I want to talk about something that 
uh, Forrester identified as customer data personas. Now, in the world yeah. of marketing, a persona is a type of customer and you have different personas. Mm-hmm. For example, if I'm Nike, some of the personas might be, here's somebody that buys running shoes. Here's somebody that buys golf shoes. Here's right. somebody that buys apparel. Each of these are personas. But data personas mm-hmm. specifically talk about uh, the tolerance level that a customer might have sharing data. Can you go into a little bit more insight yeah. uh, into what that is? Yeah, you know, um, we came across this because, uh, you know, Celebrus were partnered with Forrester and we were doing a webinar not too long ago. And, uh, you know, the analyst brought this framework forward for the webinar. And I, I just thought it was fantastic, right? So they've spent a lot of time trying to categorize people based on their willingness to share data. And so it kind of starts on one end of the spectrum with, uh, you know, they've got a funny title of them. You know, they're all pretty amusingly named, but it's like reckless rebels don't care, right? They, they're they just going to give all their data. They don't care how it's being used. And then it basically just steps down from there, right? It, it goes all the way to the people that are never going to share anything with you and they're afraid of everything, right? And they probably don't have Wi-Fi. Right. So it's kind of like that, that, that <laughs> my mom that, refused to buy anything from Amazon, you know, See? unless we did it yeah. for her. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The convenience is okay. As long as she's not the one providing the info. Right. So, right. Right. She was uh, afraid. Um, well, yeah, well, I, she bought a beanie baby once on eBay or somewhere. And somehow or another, the person didn't send her the, the beanie baby for the $10 that she spent. So she feels that all e-commerce is evil. And she will not give her credit card or any other information out to right. anybody. And uh, she lived her life that way. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Apparently it worked I mean, for her. I mean, no, but it, but it's, but that's when you, when you turn around and you look at it from a brand perspective, that's why those, those personas I thought were, were so powerful or, or framing them up in that perspective. Because if you're thinking about how to invest as a brand and advertising to do or experiences to build, it's not one size fits all anymore because that that you're going to run the gamut on someone's comfortability, especially nowadays with all the state level privacy throughout the U.S. and everything that's global. Right. Our technologies are deployed in 27 different countries around the world today. Every single one of them has some version of GDPR. Right. It kind of was all birthed from that. Right. I suppose that's the big bang of, of privacy law for consumers. And then here in the U.S., it's pretty awful. Right. I mean, it, it's at the state level. You got to try to keep track of it. It's really difficult. But but if you think of it more pragmatically, as people are in these buckets or these personas in terms of their willingness to share data, then you can come up with investments or processes or experiences that you could build for those individuals because of what ideally you'd know about him, him or her or they. Right. Yep. And and when you learn who your broadest customer base is, you can target uh, that with the with the appropriate investment and tools, uh, you and I share something in common. I don't think we're reckless, but we are at that, I think, mm-hmm. extreme end of willingness to share. Uh, I jokingly mm-hmm. said to you before we jumped on here that you could stick a chip in my neck if it makes my life better. That's great. But I add something I didn't share with you is don't abuse the privilege because I'll cut it right out of my neck yep. if you do. Yeah, the, Forrester doesn't call it this, but I kind of consider myself in a in a fool me once type model. I will happily share my data with you as a brand. Um, you know, I've been in the data and analytics industry now for over 20 years. So I, I know what good looks like. And when a brand does it well, I'm thrilled, right? And and I've always had this like moniker. I've always said, you know, it, it, brands need to toe the line between being helpful and creepy, right? And if yep. you do that, and if you stay on the side of helpful, I will give you all my data. I don't care. Um, as long as you're using it, I'm getting a benefit um, and I'm seeing what I need to see from you. 
and you're not overdoing it and you're not annoying me. That's a lovely position to be in, right? You don't want the Wayfair and this, you know, I, I, I'm sure you followed this, but the, you know, when Wayfair had their customer service calling people right as they closed a website browser, we actually had this happen in my household. It happened to my wife where, where she, we were looking at a piece of furniture. She closed the website and within like 30 seconds, her phone was ringing with customer support, asking her why she didn't buy that product. That would be creepy. That's a little too much. Like, I'm glad you're using the data, but you also have to temper how you use it, right? So maybe somewhere in the middle. And by the way, this is all about yeah. creating a positive customer experience because one of the most important mm -hmm. things you can do is build trust. So number one, I want to trust, and we're gonna we're not going to talk about it anymore after this moment, but number one, I want to mm -hmm. trust that whatever data I give you, you won't abuse it. Mm -hmm. And when I say abuse, yep. you'll, it, you'll, you'll keep it safe from ter terrible people out there stealing it. Uh, you won't abuse it yep. by selling it to a, a, a third party. Uh, and you'll just use it for what will make my experience with you better. You'll learn what I like and don't like. I think the compromise between what you just mentioned, the scenario of your wife being called is a text or an email saying, hey, we noticed you're on our website. We don't want to be creepy, but we'd love to find out if you would like to talk mm -hmm. to one of our reps about this. And if so, yeah. just click here and someone will call you within 30 seconds. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. 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 I mean, and have some fun with it, right? I think there's room for fun in this. Yeah, you know, call it, yourself. Just, say, I'm you not a gotta, creeper. I promise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sitting outside your home watching your web browsing behavior, right? It, 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 <laughs> exactly. But here's what we saw. Yeah, you know, here, here's what we saw, and and we want to help you if you if you've got questions on on that item, let us know, right? Those types of things, absolutely. And with the rise of so much digital tech, it's not hard to do that these days. You just got to put the right framework together and you've got to have the right, you know, the right sets of technology to be able to power things like that. Right, right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to shift into marketing and the content experience. If we use data the right way, we can use it to build our business, build our credibility, build our trust, build our loyalty, all that and much more. We're talking with Bill Bruno, who is the CEO of D4T4 Solutions. Don't go away. We're coming right back. Let's talk about Text Expander, a tool that allows your team to eliminate repetitive typing with just a few keystrokes. Anything you type over and over, such as customer responses, will be at your team's fingertips so they have the power to do what they do best, just faster. Quickly reply to emails and chats from a library of responses that you create, completing answers to common questions and issues. Your entire team stays on the same page with the same common responses that can be personalized on the fly. And it's simple to use. Type commonly used content into a text expander snippet and give it an abbreviation of just a few letters and symbols. Share the snippet with the team. When you type the abbreviation, it triggers the snippet and the content expands anywhere you type, including email, chat, or social media. It's that easy. Just go to www.textexpander.com to learn more about this amazing and productive tool. Sign up for a year and get 20% off. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Bill Bruno. We're talking about data. We're talking about personas. We're talking about uh, uh, really, uh, I guess the best word is protecting you from evil, but at the same time, using the data to help create a better experience for you, ideally a better relationship between a company and its customer. So let's jump into that. And let's, I'd love for you to give us a crystal clear definition 
of what a persona is in the customer experience and marketing world? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think, you know, it, it varies from brand to brand, but let's split it into two, right? I think on the one side, you've got the types of people you want to market to, right? And and that can be, you know, as, as you were talking about earlier on in the interview, it can be based on behaviors. I like shoes. I like, you know, sweat. I like sweatshirts. I'm purchasing a certain type of clothes or I'm showing interest in mortgages, right? And those types of levels of personas. But then on the underlying bit, if you split it up, you've got the other side of it, which is how much data is that individual willing to share, right? Um, from a from a sort of privacy and compliance perspective, right? We've all seen the pop-ups that come up on websites now when when you go there, whether you're going to accept cookies or allow the apps to track you or you know all of these different notifications that come up. And people are going to have different levels of of, uh, of of acceptance to that. And ultimately, based on that acceptance, that should determine for brands that are adhering to that, how much data they're able to actually capture about you. And so if you look at it from who I want to market to and what they're willing to share, then what should come from that is a, is a strategy and a plan of action for the types of experiences that you can build for those individuals to try to help them. Because when you read any survey or study about privacy these days, there's this double-edged sword that shows up in each one. On one hand, you've got consumers saying that they demand privacy. On the other hand, you say that they demand a personalized experience. Now, those two compete against each other. So brands have to find a way to get through that. And I think thinking a bit more pragmatically about these personas, like we've been discussing, is a good way to think through that because it's not one size fits all. And you can adapt what you're able to do as a brand based upon what that individual is willing to share. Yeah, I mean, you could even do something as simple as how often do you want to hear from us? Yeah, And if they say, and give them options, do you want to hear from us yeah. once a day, once a week, uh, mm -hmm. once a month? Because we'd love to share with you, not just promotions, but information about what you, about what you buy. I mean, imagine yeah. if I'm buying, uh, if somebody knows I'm a fan of, I don't know, uh, a little back to Nike, uh, shoes, okay, it's, yeah. uh, golf shoes. And they've got some new technology that's going into a golf shoe that they're not trying to sell me. They're trying to educate me because a yeah. smart consumer is a better consumer. And uh, I love that idea. They, they're not going to send me information about, uh, you know, soccer, or football shoes. They're, right. they're going to stay in my lane. I think right. that's the important part. Well, and so, if they can, if they can remember, you know, taking that a step further, right. If they can remember that maybe once a year in March, every year, you're, you've purchased a new pair of golf shoes. And they know that you're on the website right now. And maybe in the last week, you've looked at three brands of golf shoe, right? Well, that they can use all of these indicators and package up your history to know that, hey, he usually shows this behavior. Let's, let's help him understand the differences. Let's convert this purchase before he debates on going to try out another brand, right? For whatever reason, right? So it's, you know, how do you, in that moment, use the information that you have at, at, at your fingertips as a brand? to help through the process and, and, and convert that into, into an opportunity. You know, uh, Amazon is an amazing company um, for a number of reasons. I just realized that I don't believe I've ever received a promotional marketing piece about buying something specific through from Amazon. Yeah. Uh, but, but when I show up on their site, it says, welcome back Shep. Um, last time you were here, you looked at this, you know, it's almost like I have a personal shopper that's interacting with yeah. me. They're using data once I'm in their world, as opposed to trying to push it to me when I'm outside of it. Yeah. And they make so much money. I mean, if you look at, um, you know, Amazon obviously is a gold standard for a lot of things, um, you know, when it comes to personalization, but 
if you look at now when you do product searches, I mean, a lot of their money is coming through the advertising, the sponsored listings that you're seeing um, and things like that. You know, they know it's probably pretty smart of them, right? I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it's, you know, shopping online. It's like, oh, I'm going to Amazon that. Just like back in the day when we were started with paid search and you'd say, I'm going to Google that, mm. right? Even though there was a, there was five, six, seven other options for online search, everybody referred to it as Googling, right? Somehow the they were good Amazon. enough to, to create a verb. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, out of their name. Exactly. Exactly. And so with Amazon, like, you know, if you think about where you're going to invest, do you really need to tell people you exist? Not so much on the shopping side. I mean, you see them market quite a bit on AWS and a lot of their cloud services, which makes sense. But the money for them is in the advertising now. Brands paying to get the top spot because so many people uh, put product on Amazon now. Yeah. And, and that, by the way, uh, their retail world, as big as it is, AWS, the cloud services, what's happening behind the scenes selling to companies oh, yeah. is even bigger, uh, which, which is amazing. People don't realize it. Yeah. Amazon. I mean, what a company, what a company. I had an opportunity to interview the first vice president of customer service for Amazon. Hmm. And he was in the meeting when Jeff Bezos said, let's leave that chair empty like the customers here. They're not here, but we'd like to remember they are so that nobody sits in that chair. That's like representing right. the customer. How yeah. cool is that? And by the way, his final interview of the day was at a coffee shop across from Amazon's headquarters where Jeff Bezos went to the coffee shop and met him for the final interview. Wow. It was just a bookstore back then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's um, it's an unbelievable story. <laughs> it really is. All right. Back to what we're talking about. Um, you know, uh, how, I guess, third party, first party data. I want to give a delineation between the two. Um, so first party is I'm interacting with Amazon and they're only talking to me about Amazon. Uh, mm -hmm. But tell us about third party and why that's a dangerous, potentially dangerous place for people to go. Yeah, or, no, it's, companies a, it's, a, it's to a good go, question. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I mean, there's there's a lot of confusion kind of around this. Um, and a lot of it was driven by the third party sort of advertising world, right? Your data getting shared and sold everywhere so that they could follow you around the Internet and show you those advertisements for products you looked at, no matter what website you went to, right? And so when you classify first, first, third party, you kind of have to think about it from a few angles, right? The first is, first party is generally what you own, right? So your websites and your mobile apps, you own those, they're first party. Now you're gonna deploy a bunch of technology on those apps to ideally create data, right? Or capture data, you know, your e-commerce platforms, your analytics tools, et cetera. Those technologies are not necessarily first party, even though they're on your website, because you're sending information out to them from your environment. So it's creating first party data, but it's a third party technology at the end of the day. It gets very confusing, right? But the reason this is so important to delineate is because when you look at what Apple has done with, with uh, intelligent tracking prevention or, or ITP, or you look at Mozilla's total cookie protection and all the different browser changes that have come about in the last two years, if you're a third-party solution sitting outside the client environment, when you're capturing that data, you're not able to persist the identity of an individual, provided they've consented you to do it in the first place. So what that looks like is that if you and I go to a brand, let's say a week from now, they're not going to know who you are, even if it's the same device. And they're not going to, because of that, they're losing valuable information about what you've done and what you've looked at. And so in many ways, if you go back to those privacy personas we were talking about early on, and you talk about how you and I were behaving with brands, 
it's creating more room for error such that brands could make the wrong decision or make a mistake that upsets one of us, that stops us from wanting to share our data. So that reliance on third-party data and that reliance on third-party solutions has to dwindle for brands that want to remain competitive in the marketplace, but who also want to maintain the trust of consumers who are willing to share their data with them because it's being used in the right way. Yeah. We can go back to Amazon and we can look at Walmart and we can look mm -hmm. at other companies that have huge, they call them loyalty programs. Some people do. Yep. They're actually membership programs. But yep. isn't that amazing? Pay. I'm going to pay money to Amazon and I do and I happily do. So I'm not mm -hmm. complaining. I, I, you you and know, me both. I, I love my Amazon Prime account. I, I watch movies, I listen to music and I get shipping and I feel really good about it. But yep. I pay what, about 120, 30 bucks a year? Something like yeah, that. something. Like, yeah, it keeps maybe, going up every year, right? I, I honestly don't know what it what I'm paying. But as a result of that, I paid them money. I want to get the most out of it. Therefore, I'm going to give them the information they need to give me something yeah. that gives me a great value. And you know, uh, it's kind of like Netflix, uh, who's watching your pattern of movies and TV shows, and could start recommending. And they get better and better at it as time goes on. Sure Nobody does. thinks that's creepy because it's being done the right way. Yep. Yeah. And you would expect it, right? I mean, as a consumer, you just expect it. If I log into Hulu or Amazon or or Netflix, I'm expecting you to show me what I was just recently watching. And I'm expecting you to show me other things I might be interested in based on that. Right. And I think that same level of expectation exists for any brand inter interaction. And that's what you see come through in all these surveys, whether it's from For Forrester, Gartner, et cetera. And that's why having your arms around that privacy component and knowing what's possible based on that and based on where people fall on the spectrum of willingness to share data is truly the only way to get a, to get a, out in front of this ongoing challenge that brands are facing. Right. And the job for companies, marketers, customer experience experts and reps or, or um, executives inside a company mm -hmm. is to understand how to use that information in such a way that endears the brand to the customer. Uh, and by the way, it doesn't matter. It could be a B2C, even a B2B uh, yeah. environment. You've got to, uh, and you've got to get to a point in your words. I don't know how I could express it any clearer. Uh, we want people to show up to a website or understand that I expect you to know who I am. Yeah. And, and when we can hit that expectation, it means we've done our job. We've created the trust and the value of me as a consumer wanting to share that information. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's uh, get down to the last moment here. We're almost out of time. And I always ask the one thing question, the one last nugget of information that you would love to share with their audience. What would that be? Sure. So I think the one thing that we that we haven't that we haven't touched on is so we've talked about all these great things you can do with data, but what about the people that share nothing? Right. Going like back my mom. to the example <laughs> of your mom. Exactly. <laughs> what do you do there? And and the the reality is, you know, you're not setting, you're not setting cookies. You're not going to know who that person is. You're going to have very little knowledge. And for most brands, you might look at that and go, oh, I can't do anything there, but that's absolutely not true. You know, if you go back to marketing way back, it was all on context, context of what you looked at. You know, if you're on a website looking at pairs of shoes, you might want to see ads for pairs of shoes, right? Simple as that. Um, if we go back to the context, if we ignore all the tracking, if we ignore all the, the data capture, and we think of it in a silo, then the conversation there becomes around something that we coined at our business called no party data, 
right? Nobody's a party to it except the consumer. You don't copy it. You don't store it. You don't capture it. But you use what someone's doing in the moment, what they're looking at and things like that. And you apply some machine learning to create signals of interest, signals of intent that you can use on a holistic basis to offer things, to make it, to change the experience. It'll have nothing to do with who you and I are. It just will have everything to do with what we're looking at, the content we're, we're viewing, the things we're downloading, the things we're purchasing in the moment, um, and use that for contextual relevance. So it's not personalization. It's not based on an individual. It's just based on a journey. Yeah. Actually, I think not to debate with you, but I think it is a form of personalization. It's just, you don't yeah. know who you're personalizing to. You're personalizing exactly. the moment, not exactly. the customer. 100%. That's a great way to put it. Oh, well, thanks. You know what I love? Uh, the great way you put all of this, Bill, I swear this is what I how I was going to wrap this whole thing up. We are at the end of the interview and you have taken a very complicated and actually I think potentially dry subject and you've made it very interesting. The way you articulate all of this information for us is just wonderful. You've taken the complicated, you've taken the complicated and you've made it simple. So I thank you for that. No, it's it's my pleasure, honestly. And thank you so much for the time. I, I've really enjoyed this chat. Well, we really appreciate you being on the show. It's Bill Bruno, D4T4 Solutions. And thank you. And everybody, don't go away. Uh, well, you can go away, but I want you to come back next week because next week we've got another amazing interview. And until that time, this is Shep Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.